Today on the pod, I am very tired because I have just legged it back from Comic-Con, but I'm here to tell you all about it. We also review Aladdin, the live-action remake with Will Smith, and we also go all Rocket Man with our review of, well, Rocket Man. And finally, we play our game, Call It, where John see if he can tops his score from last time. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. John Crick, hello. <laughs> I like it. New intro. Hello, <laughs> Adam. How are you doing? What's up? I'm good, thanks, mate. What have you been watching? What have I been watching? Do you know what? Me and Jamie watched the first episode of Chernobyl last night, uh, and it is fucking bleak. <laughs> but I've, <laughs> I've seen some articles suggest that it's the highest rated program. It's like got 100%. It's just people going mad for it. There's only a few episodes on Sky Atlantic. But yeah, we're going to watch another one tonight. It's kind of ridiculously bleak, based on a true story, obviously. Pretty apocalyptic but at the same time, really good. So, um, you know, it's not not exactly a joy fest, but uh, I, I will <laughs> recommend it off the base of the, you know, the articles I've read and the uh, first episode, definitely. What about you? Uh, I watched last night a Netflix original anthology thing, uh, caught up on it finally, Love, Death, Robots. Have you heard of this? So the concept is it's a bunch of short stories made by different animators and it's got Netflix money behind it. They're only about 10, 15 minutes long. There's about 18 of them. Uh, I've buzzed for about half of them. And they're really unique concepts. Some of them are fantastic. Like, um, do you remember that Simpsons episode where Lisa has a little... It's a Halloween episode where Lisa has like a... a um, I don't want to call it like a little society in her tooth because of a science experiment. They kind of yes. took that episode and kind of done a homage to it about this couple that finds a civilization in their freezer and they just watch it over a course of like a day and it's just like random crap like that think of it black mirror but not bleak okay. and there's some nice charming endings in there so yeah that's what i've been watching so yeah i thought i'd keep you on your toes with a bit of a different intro anyway to the listener thank you for for tuning in welcome to talk filming to me the podcast about news entertainment general pop culture i am a tired boy ask me why i'm a tired boy john why are you so tired, Flintley? What have you been doing? Because today and over the weekend, I have been at the MCM London Comic Con. I literally have been there since the first knockings at half eight this morning. It finished at seven o'clock. I jumped on a train. I have legged it home and we are recording that pod. And to reward myself, I'm going to have a beer right now. Just pop that bad boy open. And, and you dressed uh, up uh, as a podcast host, which is, I'm sure many other people went with that same attire as well. <laughs> You'll be surprised, actually. So, uh, so for the uninitiated, London Comic Con is yeah what it says on the tin when you hear about Comic Con over a three day period. That is the intersection between film, TV, games, pop culture, cosplay, all in a smorgasbord of fandom and nerdom. It's beautiful. It's terrifying. It's intimidating. Whilst being a community, all at the same time, and we've been fortunate enough to be invited along. And this, I've been to the first day. Um, yeah, I said I got there first thing in the morning. Basically, think of it as a festival of nerd. There's tons of panels going on. Uh, I sat on a panel of like these. 
I'm not an anime guy. Like, other than I might watch the odd thing on Netflix, or maybe someone might recommend the odd thing like Ghost in the Shell to me, but I wouldn't call myself a, a fanatic for it. But I went and sat and watched a panel of some of the, the voice talents within anime, and it was just amazing to see the the fandom and culture and the impact it's had on these people's lives as well that have come to to listen to these people but to your point earlier about the the cosplay i i don't know the exact number but it's like tens of thousands of people go to this thing and um as i started approaching uh the tube station i needed to switch out all of a sudden as people started to get on the tube um they were having different cosplay outfits and i was sitting there thinking a lot of these people must have got up at like stupid o'clock and have made these amazing outfits whether it'll be video game characters movie characters uh, comic books or even a, a combination of these things to make a new character and i was thinking god you must have like got up at six in the morning, put this clubber on and be sitting there on the train. And for all that awkwardness of being that guy in cosplay or girl in cosplay, making all that route up, don't worry, in a few moments' time, you're going to be with your people. The community's going to be there. It's a beautiful thing seeing <laughs> it. Um, I, I was so amazed by some of the stuff there. I have got hundreds of photos of different people uh, in their cosplays and stuff like that. My battery died, so I stopped uploading to Twitter and the Signal Nail shit. But over the week, I'll be putting them on the Twitter account. But anyway, so I said much more. There's loads of panels there. It's just fucking awesome. The anime one was was incredible. Um, I had a little wander around. There's a section about people who work in the industry of fandom, I suppose. So stuff like uh, screen uh, screeners, as in like video game screeners. There was like a whole load of panels of these guys talking about how they're growing their businesses and all that sort of stuff. So it's not necessarily just about the fandom. It's also about the, I suppose, the pop culture industry, the pop culture zeitgeist uh, of all the different things that go on there, from streamers, YouTubers, to and everything in between of that. Um, I did go and listen to another panel, Clerks, the 25th anniversary they managed to get a bunch of the original cast on stage to talk about that are you a clerks guy i yeah i like clerks i wasn't uh you know obsessed as many people were but yeah good stuff oh man J- jason muse i mean he's he's a fucking tornado when he's on stage he's he the guy moderating i felt for him because he's like basically just trying to oh i've got some questions and i just want to you know go for it and then jason muse would just get up and be like this is boring so we just like walking around he goes ah oh, i've been i've been up in derby last night like doing a, a live show there and he'll just start talking about that and he'll go i fucking love the way brits say bellend and like it was so obviously it was done in a very charming way or you know but at the same time i can imagine it's a it's a challenge keeping him on track with conversation he'll fucking destroy me you i think yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh but no it was, it, it was fantastic um and I, yes, I went and looked around some of the swag. Uh, again, got some cool photos. We've got some stuff we're going to be giving away over the next week as well. And the best part is, is that this is only day one. Uh, the panels really kick off tomorrow. We've got Sebastian Stan, which we're hoping to, to get some time with as well. Uh, David Harbour is going to be doing the rounds from Stranger Things and obviously Hellboy. So this is this is fucking awesome. And, um, you know, I was really eager to get this this bit recorded and drop this tonight or tomorrow morning because if you are going to Comic-Con and you, and you see us, then then give us a shout out. But, you know, more importantly, go go enjoy it because it's, it's just amazing. It's not very often something of this scale happens in the UK and I think it's only going to get bigger and better. Um, I generally wish I thought of something cool to go as. Are you going to take a dictaphone just in case you can get some... 
some uh, oh yeah yeah I've, I've yeah I've, I've got all that lined up i've got all that lined up so uh, yes if we do get some cool stuff i like i say it's kind of you kind of have to figure it out on the spot what sort of stuff you're recording so um today was a recon with with the camera and uh, a little bit of voice but yeah uh, i'll edit some of that stuff and put it into the next podcast um but again like i really wish i thought about this because i would have spoken to our man at, at the dead good tees and been like i've been dressed by dead good tees and today i'm going to be wearing this t-shirt and and all that sort of stuff but anyway that aside you know day two starts tomorrow bring it on and uh, yeah Check it out on Twitter. You can follow our Twitter feed. We'll be sending loads more photos and stuff throughout the time there. Wicked. Can't wait to hear about it. So how does a fat boy from nowhere get to be a soul man? got to kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. But that's my name. Yeah, I know. Rocket Man. What has been said that hasn't been said about this film? It's a biopic about Elton John, although it is definitely not paint by numbers. Now, John, before we start this review, Mm I am going to have a swear jar, and that swear jar is going to put a pound in any time either one of us says Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Okay. Because I am getting so frustrated with every review I'm reading, every podcast talking about this film spending the first and like 50% of their review shitting on bow rap. Okay. This is a completely different film. Yes. Okay. It shares similarities with some of the people that work behind the scenes on this. And yes, there are certain things this film is trying to avoid, but look, this is a different film. I was so tempted to go on a rant on Twitter about this by putting, you know, the Game of Thrones meme of Amelia Clark pulling that face to Sansa of, hmm, yes, with the caption of, hmm, yes, please spend 70% of your review slating off uh, of Bohemian Rhapsody. But uh, I thought, no, because film Twitter is a fickled mistress and it would hag me to the dog, so I thought I'd leave that out. But anyway, now we've got that over and done with. Uh, Rocketman biopic about Elton John. This film, although it calls itself a biopic it's in my opinion it is a musical it has certain acts that goes through his life but it doesn't follow the biopic formula it is definitely about each scene is a big musical number and there's kind of like a a spluttering of stories truths and maybe something in between of that about the life of elton Uh, it starts off with him walking into rehab in an amazing outfit very flamboyant and he opens up with how you expect Elton John to open up. He very openly admits he's an alcoholic, drug addict, uh, suffers from bulimia, has uh, an amazing, uh, well, amazing, I don't know is the right word for it, but has absolute, uh, what's the right word to describe his temper, John? I, don't, I think temper is just not the right way to describe it. How do you describe his, his temper? Deaverish. <laughs> yeah. I'd say maybe. And it kicks on from there. It goes, obviously, from the thing of let me tell you how I got here, starting from when he was a child, working his way up to that point. Um, but like I said before, this this is not a biopic. You don't even know what year it is when they go back in time. They don't even tell you the titles of songs. They just happen. In fact, everyone gets involved in the acts. There's one scene in particular where uh, little baby Elton, or say baby, he's about 10 years old, uh, finds out his parents are going to divorce and everyone starts singing. Sorry seems to be the only word. I think that was the song anyway. And yeah, it's just I wasn't expecting that when I first came and sat down to, to watch this. Uh, John, what did you think when you first uh, sat down for this? Uh, I didn't know what to expect too much. Um, I was, I mean, I was hoping 
I was really pleasantly surprised when I found out it was a musical, which in the first 10 minutes, you kind of like, oh, okay, it's, this is a musical. I can get on board with this. Um, I wasn't sure completely at the storytelling device of uh, him being in the rehab meeting and then retelling his life. But then, I mean, halfway through towards the end, you kind of think, actually, it's genius. It's brilliant. Mm. And I also love the non-linear way it told the story, you know, like, so the songs, it wasn't chronological order. It wasn't going through his life. It wasn't, you know, people shit on bow rap for not playing the right album at the right time. I'm not going to apologize and I'm going to do it again three more times. (laughs) But um, yeah, people shit on that one for... But this is unashamedly like, no, we're just going to put the right song at the right moment for that time and it's going to work. And I think there was even a couple of musical theatre numbers that weren't uh, originals for the movie as well. Um, so I was fully on board with this. Uh, the, I thought the start, I don't know whether it's just my disdain for child actors, but I, I found it slightly annoying <laughs> at the start. But um, I mean, 80% of this movie I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Let's cut to the chase. Uh, Dexter Fletcher mm. felt like he had his chains off. He got on board, finished by rap, did an amazing job. You can add another one in the chat. It cost me a fortune here, buddy. This feels like the music biopic that he he fully had his hands on, right? He There was so much good cinematography there was so uh, they were really ambitious visually with all of this. There's a moment where he's doing his first, first gig in uh, LA at the Troubadour, and the whole crowd and Elton go slow mo, and they're all lifted off the floor, floating, and just these iconic, flamboyant, crazy fantasy scenes that I just thought was so ambitious for a music biopic because you you haven't seen that much. You, we're used to just retelling a story, and this did do that but it also was very much a kind of ambitious musical as well yeah completely agree with you um i really once i readjusted my and recalibrated to ah, oh, this is a musical and just take it for what it is and this isn't here to give you that warts and all although it does go warts and all in terms of uh, how Elton was on and off off the stage as well from that perspective but this was very much to show you the fantasy of his life and that scene that you alluded to where he he plays that first big gig in LA and he starts playing the piano and he's off his face and literally everyone around him is swimming in the air and the effects are are spellbinding from that there is there are some ingredients of this film of a masterpiece in terms of and I think Taron Egerton's performance I just talk about the car so Taron Egerton plays Elton himself absolutely fantastic amazing Uh, uh, Jamie Bell Really, really underrated in this film. He plays Bernie Tap uh, Toop Taplin. Is that how you pronounce it? Bernie Bernie Torpin. Torpin. There we go. Sorry. Yes, and here's another thing as well. Um, I heard some people come out and said, "Oh yeah, I didn't know that those songs were about his life and how they were depicted that way." And it's like Elton John didn't write his own songs. He met this guy, <laughs> and these songs he put the music to it. So, no, sorry seems to be the only. Like the hardest word is not about his parents' divorce. They just, yeah. they, but just just go with it, right? Anyway, Jamie Bell's performance is fantastic. Everyone keeps, you know, and rightfully so, talking about Richard Madden as John Reed in this. But but Jamie Bell, hilarious. Is, he's fantastic. Yeah, Jamie Bell. Uh, I mean, he just does the job so well. He has to play the slightly shyer, slightly reserved, really sensitive, good guy, the lyricist, you know. But the, mm. I mean that. The bromance between Elton and Bernie, um, obviously, to this day, 
and it was i thought it was the most moving thing about this movie it was it was incredible um mm. and there's you got the impression it was really honest you know like spoiler alert elton john actually tries to kiss bernie when they first meet and bernie says you know no but i love you as a, a brother kind of thing and there's a really another really nice moment where elton comes out and he says is that going to be a problem and bernie's like doesn't matter to me and it's there's just a few moments where uh, the bromance mm. it just gets to you and i think bernie uh Torpin is the hero of of this movie for me i wanted to see more of that to be honest yeah. at the end that's our kind of fundamental criticism wasn't it we kind of came to a consensus at the end of this movie it was uh kind of an, maybe ended on a I don't know how to describe it. a bit of a damp squib. It was an anticlimax, wasn't it? I think without going into spoiler territories, there's a, essentially this film depicts Elton's life up until the the mid eighties, early nineties. I know it doesn't cover the most important part of his career, the time that he collaborated with Blue. I know, but um, <laughs> it does focus on him going to rehab and getting better. And if you think about, and I'm going to have to put the, the pound in the jar. God damn it. You think about with films like Bo Rap or or with Ray or with with most musical biopics, they tend to conclude with a big musical performance, whether that being a, a live gig or releasing an album, or it's kind of like the best days aren't over. Here's the the new stuff, and we kind of get that, but it's very much just like a here's a song and here's a bunch of photos of text up saying Elton's all right, you know. And it just felt like it was very anticlimactic, which if you think of this story, you think about the narrative that Elton goes on in this film and the way it tries to portray it as a beautiful, a beautiful fantasy full of uh, a cautionary tale that you expect it to conclude in a fantasy epic. And there's nothing. It's not like that. It kind of goes it goes out in a whimper. And that that is my only critique of this film. I think Taron Egerton, by the way, you know, let's go back to Taron for a minute. How good is he vocally? Because he does all the singing in this. I actually prefer him, his voice to Elton's, which I know is sacrilege to say, but you know that I, when he sung your song uh, and a couple of others, I was like, I, I think he, I think that's better. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, obviously, he didn't write them. So, uh, but yeah, what a voice <laughs> and a performance! You can totally see why Elton wanted him. He was his man, and how funny was he every time he. Yeah, he just put, took the charisma to the max. Uh, maybe over the top sometimes, but that's obviously what Elton want being wanted being the executive producer on this movie. Uh, but he's seriously funny in a lot of these scenes. Um, we did have a criticism of the kind of choice to make the Elton character not quite as deverish as he claims he was it was almost like mm. oh there was a great line in it um where he sort of confesses to being a bit of a c-word for half his life and that is like a really funny good line but then you realize the film hasn't really portrayed him in that bad a light so you felt like there could have been more to give if honesty wise but at the same time if you make a video if you made a film about your life plenty you probably wouldn't uh put the real shameful bits in would you <laughs> i would well we Malden two fat well, Malden <laughs> 2002 john where we snuck on to the fairground that wouldn't make it in there but um <laughs> i i agree to an extent um there are some bits where if you put it if you wrote it down on paper the things that he does so 
again, without going into specifics, but he obviously has a fallout at some point with the people that he loves around him. He does go through his deverish mood swings. He does uh, he does have some issues with his sexuality. When I say issues, it's more to do with the... He basically gets of his landlady for a bit and uh, then he decides he's gay properly. That's about as far as it goes. Um, but still, there are some things that you could say on paper. Yeah, he, he has been a bit of a bastard, but this film does try and portray it's because of the sum of all his parts, i.e. the relationship he had with his parents. And it's almost like it's therapy for Elton John himself in terms of how that film concludes with all that sort of stuff. Speaking about his parents, let's talk about Bree Dallas Howard. She plays Sheila, Elton's mum in this. What do we think about her performance? That's solid. A classic, uh, you know, 50s mum, I guess, at the start. Um, I mean, she doesn't come off well. <laughs> none of the <laughs> none of the family do. It had a sense... Of, sorry, you're going to have to put a thing in a jar for me, but Bo Rap, it felt a little bit like uh, I'm <laughs> writing some wrong. People who have wronged me are going to be portrayed in a very bad light. And Elton clearly had some uh, has some pent-up issues with most of his family um but i mean great performances yeah i thought she was great as sheila uh she she kind of played a real layered part a hero for some parts and then other parts you just thought wow that's shocking so um yeah what about you i agree to an extent i loved uh, i loved her at the start of the film um as they they try and age her. Uh, they use prosthetics, and it's it's almost laughable. One of the scenes where she's like, clearly, it's been like thirty years, so they've tried to make Bruce Dallas Howard look thirty years older, and it looks like her eyes are all of a sudden in different locations because of the amount of prosthetics she's got on. Look, that aside, I thought she was fantastic. I thought, like, say, the emotional crux in this. I also want to give a shout out to uh, a young actor called Matthew. Isley, he played the young Reggie, aka young Elton, and he has to do a lot of the emotional lifting actually in this film. Uh, when he has flashbacks to when he's a ten-year-old boy, when he's having some issues with his father, but also at the same time coming to terms with his 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 hidden talent with music. Uh, this kid is fantastic. Uh, to John's point, although I know you hate child actors, the, I thought the guy had done really well, and I he can <laughs> sing as well. Like generally, he could the kid can sing, so um, I think that kid's got a bright future. Yeah, certainly. I just realised how awful I sound, but yeah, no, I did say I had a particular disdain. I work with kids, by the way, but that anyway. Don't worry about any of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, agreed. I mean, great voice. Um, the music in this movie, I think the reimagining of some parts uh, was amazing. When he was writing your song, when they portrayed that moment and Bernie coming in and listening to it that was a real moment you just felt an authenticity about that and that was brilliant um i mean going back to alton and bernie's relationship there's just such a it was so refreshing to see an accurate portrayal of, of two people who clearly knew their limits uh bernie knew he couldn't sing not going to perform but a great writer elton knew he wasn't that good at lyrics and and totally knew their limits and just put their talents together and made apps works of genius and i think there's a lot of there's a lesson a modern lesson to be learned there flinty would you agree are you implying that we should stop making podcasts <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying i i don't know what i do in this arrangement what why am i here flinty why am i here you're my you're my bernie um <laughs> oh right you get to be elton yes yeah, well enough. i'm 
I am, I am the diva, to be fair. But no. uh, let's talk a bit about some of the people involved in this. So one of the producers on this film uh, actually has worked with Elton in the past. He produced Candle in the Wind. He also has worked on the Beatles documentary as well. And I think that extra layer of, uh, I suppose, the right way of saying this, this extra layer of authenticity for the craft in terms of putting the, the music together, putting the right timing in this, making this that big musical number, I think it shines through. And I think that really does help the the film portray the, the sort of fantasy musical narrative in this. Apart from that end, like this would be a film of the year contender if it did, didn't did have such a, a kind of fizzle out ending, in my opinion. Just my opinion on that. But where you're sitting with this, I'm thinking four out of five. Yep, I'm firmly in the four camp. I was ready to give it a five, uh, you know, two thirds of the way in, but just the ending yeah a bit of a whimper i felt a kind of tiny bit too self-indulged by the end but um really there's so much to love about this uh it didn't quite hit the five out of five dizzying heights of a bow rap but go on one more in the jar but uh i think four out of five is fair worth a watch brilliant movie and I think it's going to be a long, long time before they make a better film. <laughs> Boom. Put, put one in the jar for that. No, Terrible. no. It's already, this review has already cost me seven quid. So there you have it. Four out of five. Rocket Man. Go see it. What a shy little boy you were. <laughs> Look at you now. News. Obviously, with cans going on at the moment, is it cans, cans? How do you pronounce it, John? Cans, cans. Maybe cans. if you're very posh, Flinty. Well, as you can tell, uh, <laughs> we are Essex's answer to uh, to the posh <laughs> podcast. Obviously, um, let's stick with cans. Let's stick with cans for us. Uh, that's going on at the moment, so there's not really much news dropping, um, other than Quentin Tarantino done like this whole "Don't spoil once upon a time in Hollywood" thing. It's kind of backlashed on him really isn't it like he was basically saying to people look you're going to see this film um this is not the final version and he kind of announced that he's going to be doing an extended cut of this but he was like really please don't don't ruin this film uh for people on the outside and there was this massive i suppose debacle about a press conference he was doing and it was with uh the cast margot robbie uh leo and brad pitt and uh quentin tarantino obviously and a reporter a really brave reporter actually stood up and said after seeing the film uh, margot robbie doesn't have much screen time at all in this film in fact she doesn't really have much dialogue and directly asked margot in front of quentin how did you feel about that and did you fight for more screen time Quentin Tarantino interrupted straight away and said, I reject your hypothesis, which is a really sort of elaborate way of trying not to look too pissed off, I suppose. But uh, I thought Margot Robbie gave such a, uh, what's the word, reserved and classy answer of, I'm just grateful for the time I get, whilst at the same time it gave me time to really reflect on, it's not just portrayal of myself, but it's actually through the reflections of other characters, so I had to really study that, and with the time I had, of course I'd want more time, but with the time I had I was grateful for, and I managed to portray that properly. I don't know if like we can just sit there with a counter and go, that person had 10 seconds, that person had, had 20 seconds, who done the better performance? Like, performances don't work that way, so... Again, without seeing the film, it's kind of hard to to comment on this. Do you think people are going a bit too far on this? I think whoever asked that question is going, it's just the inference is, oh, why didn't you give the woman, the amazing woman, you know, Margot Robbie, 
why didn't you give her more screen time? Because yeah. there's like a obviously a female empowerment inference in the question, which is kind of a bit silly, I think. It's like mm. it do whatever the movie needs, you know. When you watch Apocalypse Now and Marlon Brando does ten minutes at the end, but he does some of the best work of his career and genius ten minutes, it's not like that's what the film needed. It doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, that's uh, it annoys yeah, me that apparent. And but I don't think Tarantino should have interrupted <laughs> Carol. No. But that's not a yeah. good look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if like if you generally believe that. Or if you generally believe that person was asking bollocks, then you wouldn't. You you could have allowed your cast to answer without your interference, if that makes sense. Um, also, there's kind of like a shadow still hanging over Cans. Like Cans is kind of known as as a uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein's kind of playground, and I don't mean that in a predatory sense. I mean it in terms of a uh, it was his place. He unveiled a lot of his movies and. I think his shadow still overhangs that place, even to the point where they might even consider moving the location a little bit or, or giving it a, a new lease of life. It also doesn't help that whoever is doing this, there's a campaign for Kevin Spacey. It's called Let's Be Frank. And they're handing out posters and cards saying you can't erase art and putting a picture of Kevin Spacey. And they're like, what do you hope to achieve by doing this? <laughs> mm, I, I, I don't yeah. know what the end the end result is of that. Um, so I think given the the environment and the landscape these sort of questions are inevitable and also this is obviously the first time Quinton has been out parading a film since uh, obviously all of the Harvey Winston stuff and Quentin Tarantino was his boy like they were like bosom buddies and I do find it hard to believe that he wasn't aware of all the stuff that was going on he might have been uh, let's just say he might have turned a blind eye to it because he wanted just to focus on his stuff, but I don't think he's as innocent as he makes himself out to be. Yeah, Tarantino's, you know, he's a a crazy kind of personality, really, isn't he? And even more so yeah. as he's gotten older, I feel like every interview you can guarantee some sort of fireworks, uh, you know, and it's good value, really, for us to see. And he's honest. That's one yeah. thing you've got to yeah. say. He's unashamedly, he's got a bit of the kind of, I guess the Ricky Gervais about him where he will just say what he thinks and won't apologize for stuff, which is, uh, can be quite refreshing. Um, but yeah, don't interrupt your yeah. cast. But that being or said, I still can't wait to see this film. Yeah. Like, oh, this mate, is... I'm sh- I've no doubt it's going to be good. Yeah. I've been looking forward to that. We've been talking about this since episode 30, probably. So can't wait. Yeah, in fact, yeah, when the rumours started and we we're like, oh my God, this cast is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So yeah, let, you know, let's let let's see what happens. Let's see if the guy's still got the goods. I'm sure he has. Um, just to kind of round off other news that was going on. So Terminator Dark Fates dropped its trailer yesterday. Uh, this is for those of you who aren't keeping count. This is the sixth Terminator movie. And uh, this is kind of ignoring everything after Terminator 2 Judgment Day. In a, it's got it's become kind of like a new thing to do now. Like basically, if a franchise has lost its way, it's kind of now acceptable to just retcon uh, previous entries. 
Halloween's a great example. They're kind of just saying those films don't matter, but this is just a this is what would happen after a particular story, and this is kind of in a similar vein. Uh, the trailer dropped. We got to see Sarah Connor back, uh, and it's the original actress playing a role as well. Uh, James Cameron's producing. Obviously, his dance card's quite full, making a billion Avatar movies, but it's got the guy who directed the first Deadpool movie uh, helming this. Seen the trailer, John? What's your thoughts? Yeah, um, kind of cool. A lot of action, more action than you expect. Um, uh, yeah, looks looks kind of fun, looks cool. Arnie even makes an appearance. Uh, which is the kind of prerequisite for any reboot of a old 80s franchise, <laughs> isn't it? It's like, you got to get the original guy in just for a second. Just um, wheel him out. Yeah, but it looks kind of interesting. Um, I'm sure I'll hate it, but uh, <laughs> nice trailer. <laughs> like the music as well. Did enjoy there that. There we go. I think it's quite funny. Jim Cameron's come out and said... As Jim Cameron always does, he likes to put his first foot forward and talk about how much of a visionary he is and all that sort of bollocks. But um, he was saying, oh, you don't see women of a certain age. I think this is even the first woman over 50 to wield a shotgun in an action film. And it's just like, literally, Halloween came out two or three months ago. And Jamie Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis, I should say, is of a similar age, who you have worked with on True Lies, literally wields a shotgun. Like, you're not the first person to have ever done anything, James. Like, you you are very good, but you're not the first at everything. <laughs> he, You need that self-belief to make his gargantuan movies, though, Flinty. That is very true. That is very <laughs> true. And speaking of the C word, have you heard the Taika Waititi recently? Um, he's got a, a new film coming out very soon. Uh, it's set in occupied Poland, I think, just before or just or just at the cusp of the Second World War, about a little boy who has an imaginary friend, and his imaginary friend is Hitler. And uh, Taika Waititi is playing Hitler, and he's doing like the rounds promoting it and all this sort of stuff. And um, they said to him, "Ah, oh, Taika, so obviously everyone's really excited to see what your next project is, and uh, yeah, we're all really, really excited. We heard you're in this film as well. What research did you do to get into the skin of Hitler?" And he literally said, "Nothing. The guy's a bleep c-word." <laughs> and I just thought that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's an interesting premise. I haven't seen him in movies much, so that's going to be interesting. He he does he does cameos in his own films, but I think the last time I saw him in a film, and it's not a good thing, uh, was in oh the Green Lantern, the um, Ryan Reynolds movie. He plays like the buddy in it, but right. there is a precedence for being the buddy character in a terrible comic book movie to then go on be an amazing director. John Favreau was Foggy Nelson in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, then went on to direct Iron Man. Obviously, Taika was the the crap buddy in the crap Green Lantern, but then went on to direct films like For Ragnarok, but not to mention stuff like What We Do in the Shadows and stuff like that. So that, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the path to being a good director. Find a, a shit mediocre role in a, a in a superhero movie and that'll propel you into the director's seat who knows in, interesting a crap sidekick podcast host maybe like <laughs> a genius screenplay and makes an amazing movie you just given me an idea okay brilliant <laughs> what would you call it john oh i don't know no one's made well, a movie about the podcast podcast hosts yet have they i mean it's a wonder because there's a wealth of comic material, I'm sure. Sure. Well, I'll tell you someone who's been naming films, a back with a Sedway, um, Christopher Nolan. Um, his new movie is called Tenet. 
Uh, that's all we really know about this, other than it's going to be a spy movie. Uh, we already know some of the cast. Uh, we've got R. Pats, a.k.a. R. Bats, is going to be in this film. Also, uh, Denzel Washington's son is also taking a role in this movie, not to mention a bunch of other people in this. Do you know something interesting? Go on, then. In Inception, if you take the first name of each of the leads and the first initial and spell it out, it says Dreams, and that was the main concept of the film. So maybe there's some linking of that in, in Tenet. Who knows? Oh, I think... is That that must be a co- coincidence. You can't cast people on the basis of their first... No, the, their characters, not... The character names, not the not the actor's first name. <laughs> oh, right. That was a pretty dumb assumption from me. That's why I'm here, baby. <laughs> anyway, that's your news for this week. You stumbled upon an opportunity. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. Aladdin is a live-action remake of the classic Disney animated movie. This is part of a long line of films that Disney have been rebooting over the last few years. This has been directed and the screenplay has been co-written by Guy Ritchie. This is a very unlike Guy Ritchie movie. Very surprising that he's even taken this film. Then again, there'll be some questions about that as I go through this review. In terms of cast, it's got Mena Masood as well as Naomi Scott and Will Smith, just to name but a few. If you haven't seen the film Aladdin, I'm not going to go over the entire story, but the general gist of this is basically it's set in a fictional uh, Arabian city called Agrabah where a young street rat called Aladdin uh, stumbles upon a princess who is basically trying to escape the life that she has in front of her. She goes back to the palace. Uh, Aladdin wants to be a prince so that he could basically be with her. Uh, stumbles upon a horrible guy called Jafar who sends him to the Cave of Wonders to find a, a lamp which basically contains the genie. Obviously, the performance we all think about is Robin Williams, uh, who was absolutely spellbinding, career-defining, and holds dear in many of people's hearts, especially 90s kids. Obviously, if you haven't seen the film, you've probably seen the Panto version, if not. So, basically, this is a a remake told through the eyes of uh, Aladdin, but Will Smith actually being the genie and the main protagonist in this film, believe it or not. Where to begin? So, this film... I'm going to be honest, I didn't enjoy. Uh, I hold the original animated film in really, really high regard. It's probably my favourite one, so I'm already coming in with high expectations. Also, there's been lots of negative press with the trailers and stuff, with Blue Gate, with the genie and all that sort of stuff. I'm trying to park all that to one corner so I can give you just the review and you can put the pieces together whether you decide to go see this or not. Um, So one of the things that I'm a bit disappointed about is actually the effects in this film. There's a lot of motion blurring going on to the point where it looks like a PS2 game. There's one point when it literally revolves around the city and it is so blurry. It's like they put Vaseline over the lens because they just kind of didn't know what they were doing with that. Uh, the effects of the genie are pretty bad, actually. Uh, some bits it looks okay. You know, certain lightings it looks quite good, but 
they've for some reason made the decision to make the genie like really hench like really muscular and it just kind of doesn't sit right i don't know why those decisions were made it, it just doesn't look particularly good from that point um, I've got to give a shout out to the main cast though. I thought Mena Masood as Aladdin, I thought he was brilliant. Naomi Scott, uh, she has been the pink Power Ranger in that reboot and she plays Jasmine in this. I think she's she's absolutely fantastic. She really does work with, with what she's got. She's got a set of pipes in her as well. She can really sing, if that is her singing, I'm assuming it is. Um, the effects on the animals in this, like if you think of the Jungle Book, you know, John Favreau's Jungle Book, the characters look absolutely incredible in that. If you look at the trailers for The Lion King, it's photorealistic animals. Why have they not taken those effects and put them in the monkey, Abu? He looks just so, so terrible, if I'm being honest. Um, but the effects on the carpet, the magic carpet, looks fantastic, actually. Yeah, I'll give him props for that. That looks awesome. Um, yeah, and it, it's a bit convoluted. They... They redo some of the songs. They've removed a couple of songs, actually, and they kind of tried to put their own flair on it, and it sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't. One of the things that I'm really disappointed about this is that Will Smith, in build-ups to this, was saying that he is bringing his own flair to this. You know, if I try and copy Robin Williams, that's all I'm going to be compared to, so I'm going to bring what I bring to it. And you think, okay, cool. And actually, Will Smith, you know, for those of you who don't know, Will Smith is a very successful rap artist as well, and he has taken some absolute banger songs i.e some classic motown songs put his own flair on it and done some amazing raps you think about men in black getting jiggy with it all of them are actually based on other songs he's taken the music and put his own lyrics over that and i thought oh i can't wait to kind of see what he's gonna do with with you never had a friend like me and stuff like that but for some reason they've bottled it and they just do an exact same version of those songs to the point where it's the exact even the riffs off it the reason why the genie character works so well is because that was basically Robin Williams stand up they just put that in a cartoon and I was kind of hoping they'll take Will Smith and make him animated larger than life as genie and they do it to an extent but they definitely don't with the music which is definitely a missed opportunity in my opinion and also because it's Will Smith right he's literally he's bigger than life himself when he's in a film his name is top billing and rightfully so and they really do expand the genie character to the point where he's human a lot in this film uh, the narrative is is that for aladdin to be able to navigate through the palace and stuff and you know be seen in public with the genie obviously the genie being a big blue lug they uh, wanted to give a narrative point of oh he'll become human so that people just see this human version of the genie they've even wrote in a love story for the genie as well i don't want to go into too much spoiler details you've seen the film you've already know the narrative of this point anyway but they, they do add additional parts in this to beef up will smith's character but they do use an opportunity to bring other characters into this uh, the handmaiden in question is played by nasim pedad and she's she's really good in this um They've completely messed up the bad guy, though, uh, unfortunately. Moan Jassari, who plays Jafar, I thought he's a good actor, but he's just it's just not done very well. Like The portrayal is just very, very forgettable. What can I say that's positive about this film? Um, there are moments when the dialogue works between Will Smith and Mena, like that, that there's general chemistry between them in terms of Genie and Aladdin there. And I thought Naomi Scott, again, you know, she is absolutely fantastic. Uh even though she's been in films that haven't been good projects, she's already shot. She always shines through, and this is no exception to that. Um, what else? What other positive things? Let's always try and try and at least give you some hope in this. Um, the Cave of Wonders scene looks quite good. Like the the effects of when the lava's coming in and stuff. Look, this film shines when it is mirroring the original. So when it is retaking classic scenes and not tampering with them, it does really really well. 
the times it lets down is when it deviates too much or it try it kind of forgets the essence of it the prince ali scenes a, a classic example of this they shared it on social media recently this is supposed to be hey look at this guy it's fantastic it's extravagant big number big everything and it just felt it felt small in comparison to what it should be and that's a bit of a shame i uh, yeah i'm i can't kick it anymore um if you really, really like the original and you haven't seen it in a while, then then you might be able to pull it off. I think this will make a lot of money, um, you know, for what it's worth, because the audience out there love this film, uh, yeah, the original, and will go see it, and probably aren't the sort of people that would listen to reviews or read them. So I think it will make a lot of money, but that will not be a fair representation of the product. Um, yes, it is getting slammed across various media outlets at the moment, and you know, dare I say it, rightfully so. I think Guy Ritchie, as I've said this on this podcast many a times before, he's very good at making Guy Ritchie movies this is not a Guy Ritchie movie but Disney was so uh, adamant to put his name on it they put his name on it twice in the opening credits twice they put a Guy Ritchie movie almost as to say this is your pile stand by it and uh, yeah there's lots of things coming out in the media that there was some troubles and things like that I don't know nothing that's been confirmed so you know we don't really report on that sort of stuff but there might be evidence to suggest that in the way this film has panned out. So unfortunately, I'm going two out of five. Uh, the main cast do the best with what they got, but they've been let down by uh, a not very coherent editing process. The effects really do let this down. And uh, they also get rid of some key parts or some very memorable parts from the original film. So, you know, for that, it is two out of five, unfortunately, Aladdin. Call it. We had a bit of a laugh with it last week. A load of people said they really enjoyed it. Do you remember when we used to do jingles for our games? Hmm. Are you we suggesting should... I make a jingle? Well, maybe we'll just make one on the spot. Like I know you're, for people who don't know, John's actually an amazing musician, has a massive back catalogue of stuff for, for TV, podcasts, radio, jingles, and all that sort of stuff. I might go through your, your back catalogue and pick one of your jingles and... Like, just put some terrible vocals over the top of it. You should just definitely to, do that. Yeah, shall I record? Let's do the vocals right now and just hope that it sets in over that. All right, go for it. Hit it. Okay, right. Call it. Call it. Think you can know it. Then call it. There you go. Done. Auto tune that. That'll be great. Oh, mate, then it'll be just like Aladdin, which is basically terrible <laughs> tune all the way through. Anyway, so call it. Uh, the concept is basically I will say the name of an actor and then John has to say a number. I then say call it and John has to name the names of films that actor has been in. If he can do it, he will get the number as a number of points and back and forth. I think I've done a terrible job of explaining that, but hopefully as we play it, you'll understand it. And if you want to suggest any actors for this, by all means, get in touch. So basically sequels count. Uh, if I hear any typing then that is it you are void for that round if you go uh and um or just have a pause for too long that's it you've lost the point as well have you been doing training for this john how you been preparing for this 
mostly just been crying about the last time that um, <laughs> I got stuck on the Truman Show. Couldn't think of the bloody name. Uh, so yeah, I've got I've got a few tactics that I'm up my sleeve that I'm going to try out today. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, do you want to go first? Are you are you ready? Are you feeling that confident to go first? Yeah, go on and hit me. Okay, I'll go easy with you this time for the first one. Tom Hanks. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, six, six. Call it. Splash. Big. Yep. yep. Boris Gump. Yep. Light. Yep. Saving Private no, Ryan. No, flight. He's not. He's not in flight. That's Denzel Washington. Oh fuck! What does I? I was thinking of the other one where he's yeah he's the terminal. Sully. Oh, Sully. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh yeah, or oh, Sully. Yes. Yeah. So that's so it. You, you, that's no points. You, you didn't. You didn't. You got. You, you got it wrong, mate. I was gonna. Oh, I, I had like fifteen. This is. I know. You well, yeah, you, you, well, that's why, that's what, maybe you've got to be tactical and say, you know what, I might know more, but I'd rather get points on the board, so just say four. You've got to complete, <laughs> you can't just, you know, you know? All right, okay, so go on in, hit me. All right, okay, well, you came up earlier and he's coming back. Denzel Washington. Call seven. It. Go on, I've then. said seven, so you want me to call it, yeah, okay? Yeah. The Equalizer. Mm. The Equalizer 2. Mm. The Book of Eli. Mm. The Hurricane. Mm. Malcolm X. Mm. Are you accepting Malcolm X? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Along Came a Spider. Mm-hmm. Flight. I gave you flight, so I think I should get a point, really. Nah, nah, nah. Was no. that seven? Did I get seven? Yeah, it was seven. Uh, all I'll yes. say is I was very close to call in hesitation because last time you gave me a one second and uh so i felt i was very kind to you there i'm just saying and uh, okay I, you were kind to be there and i also gave you a flight so that was an assist from john there <laughs> all right i'll give you half a point so you got sank on the board thank you because it, it, yeah <laughs> we both had our easy ones now so it's it's going to get a bit harder but it might oh. make you laugh at the same time okay so i'm gonna go vinnie jones vinnie jones yeah. um Okay. Free. Call it. Mean Machine. The yep. Football Factories. Fast and Furious. Uh, he's not in the Fast and Furious. It was gone in 60 seconds. Oh, what? Are you sure he's not in one of the Fast and Furious? He is not in any of the oh. Fast and Furiouses. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I keep doing it on the last one. I always get Gone in 60 Seconds and Fast and Furious mixed up because they're both terrible movies about cars. Um, <laughs> oh, well. This is really... This is going terribly. This is going really badly. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Okay. Hit me. Scarlett Johansson. Okay. I'm going to go for... Hit me, call oh, it. fuck, I could have just done it with the Avengers, couldn't I? Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Infinity War, Captain America, Winter Soldier. Uh, wrong. Oh, I was actually I, looking I... for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Oh, oh, uh, oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Okay, so that, that puts me on 11. You're on half a point. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to guess. I've got to get 11. <laughs> you've got All to right. guess. Uh, yeah, you've got to get 11, basically, and then you'll... you'll uh, You'll be on half a point okay. ahead of me at that point. Okay. 
So uh, a bit of a heartthrob from when we mm. were kids, Sarah Michelle Geller. Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh, that's Vinnie Jones and Sarah Michelle Geller. This is outrageous. I, I've, I mean, I'll have to say eleven, but I'm, I, I'm not <laughs> going to get more than three. Um, Cruel Intentions. Yep. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Did they ever do a film? Yes, but she wasn't in the lead. But I'll accept it as a TV answer on this occasion. Oh, just to eke it out that little bit more. Uh, do you know what I? I can't remember her in anything else. I remember Cruel Intentions and Buffy. Hit me with some more. <laughs> so she was in The Grudge. She was in The Grudge Two. She was in Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo Two. Scooby Doo. Uh, you could have had. She was in American Dad for a bit. Uh, she was in a TV version of Cruel Intentions. Um, yeah, there's there's a few you could have picked from there, but uh, but yes, unfortunately, John. Um, uh, yeah, you're, you're still on half a point. All I'm saying is Vinnie Jones and Sarah Michelle Geller are not up to the standard of Denzel Washington and Scarlett Johansson, but. That's fine. You play dirty, Flinty. Whatever you need to do to win, okay? <laughs> well, do you want to hit me? Is there a third one? Is there a third one for yeah, me? Yeah, I've got a third one, but I'm feeling like I should change it. But uh, <laughs> Go on, then. No, I've still gonna... smashed it. <laughs> All right, here we go. John C. Riley, call it. Uh, five. Go on, then. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Step Brothers, Holmes and Watson, Anchorman... Uh, oh fuck it! I've lost my train of thought. All right, I lose. I lost it. You embarrassed uh, yourself oh, sh- again, mate. Oh, <laughs> can't believe it. Um, well, there you go, John. Uh, you didn't quite call it this time, but uh, maybe I was a bit harsh. I thought I thought you'd I thought you'd be one of the you know the big Vinnie Jones lovers out there. How many? Uh, what else? Give me some more Vinnie Jones. He was in I mean, he's, he's had a lot of bit put bit parts, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, think about all the work he done with Guy Ritchie. He was in Snatch, Lockstock. Yes, oh. uh, he did have. Yeah, see, I haven't. I it wasn't that hard when you think about it, really. No, and it uh, he then, you know, he did have a spell in Hollywood for a little bit where he was, you know, in bigger movies. So he was in X Men: The Last Stand, as you mentioned, gone in sixty seconds, not Fast and Furious. So yeah, you you could have got three or four out of there quite easily. He was even in mm. Madagascar for a little bit as well. But. Uh, <laughs> Well, there you go. There you go. I'm going to have to abandon this film. Do you remember Euro Trip? Um, yes. Was he was that? the he was the football hooligan in that, claiming to be head of the Man United fan club, which is clearly film studios going fuck. We need to do a football club, and mm. apparently there's only Manchester United as the only club that's recognisable in film. So we'll make Vinnie Jones in charge of the Man United society. <laughs> Boom! Why not? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Wimbledon fans uh, loved seeing that. So anyway, there you have it. If you've got ideas for films, oh, I say films. If you've got ideas for people we should be using for Call It, then get in touch on Twitter at TalkFilmT. Call it, call it. Think you can know it? Then call it. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it, please click on the like, subscribe, follow, whatever button it is that you get more content from Talk Film to me. Uh, every Monday, we drop a playlist on Spotify, bangers from the pictures. It's our favourite songs from various films. John, tell me a film you like the soundtrack of. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'll pick a song and put it in and we'll drop the needle this Monday. Anyway, John, how can people find you? You can find me wallowing on the uh, cesspool that is Twitter, at Descamento. (laughs) And the cesspit of humanity. Uh, Next week, we'll be having a guest on the pod, as well as I'll be bringing you up to date on all the stuff that happened in Comic-Con in the second and third day. We've also got a bunch of other stuff going on. If you keep an eye on the Twitter account, I'm giving away some exclusive MCM comic book stuff that I've got from Comic-Con as part of our Twitter giveaways. So lots of awesome stuff in the pipeline. Stay filmy till next time. Bye-bye. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.